0: Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham.
1: Hello and welcome to the end of a chaotic week at the Capitol. You just knew with all these failed votes for Kevin McCarthy that someone would have this spin when we got to January 6th. Igor Bobik at HuffPost had this tweet. As the speaker brawl unfolded on the House floor this week, some lawmakers couldn't help but see links to the chaos of January 6th that took place two years ago today. Igor was referring first and foremost to Nancy Pelosi, who said, thank God I had been voted in as speaker in 2021, so we had an organized Congress to certify the election. Now, Most of us don't thank God for Speaker Pelosi, but it was good that we were organized and not chaotic on that day. I saw this uh, spin uh, because Brian Stelter retweeted it from his exile in the playpen with Sonny and Story Stelter. Now, surely within the 20 members that have been objecting to McCarthy, there are people who agitated against certifying the 2020 election results. But this, in general, is the classic tactic of the liberal media of taking a few Republicans and portraying it as the dominant take of all Republicans from coast to coast. Clearly, this small group of Republicans is the central story of the week. But, you know, the idea that all Republicans are this, Um, you know, they wouldn't say uh, the Democrats wouldn't say all Democrats are AOC. You know, they're they're very careful. They wouldn't say that. But, you know, the dominant take on a day like this is what we've been used to for two years now. The big word in today's news I was finding when I looked through the closed captioning is insurrection. This is an emotionally loaded word, but it is common in their description of January 6th. For more drama, they make it deadly insurrection. Sometimes it's deadly riot or deadly attack on the Capitol. And, uh, you know, that to me makes the death toll sound much larger than it actually was. Remember, one person died a violent death on January 6th. Her name was Ashley Babbitt. You don't have to agree with her extreme take here on the 2020 election but her name is not said. We went through months of January 6 hearings and one of the ways that you could demonstrate that the narrative was hermetically sealed in all of these hearings was you wouldn't have any talk of Ashley Babbitt or the Capitol policeman who shot her dead. This was one of the many angles they simply did not want to consider. So now in the, uh, the lead-up to January 6, 2023, the big story was that Brian Sicknick's family was going to sue Trump and several of the rioters. Uh, Brian Sicknick's name is invoked all the time. That certainly was a tragic story. As you know, Sicknick died the next day from a stroke. But for months and months, the liberal media misled everyone and making it sound like Sicknick was somehow struck with an object which caused him his death the next day. Um, and then, of course, there were suicides afterwards. And, of course, the, the death by car of a Capitol policeman in April of 2021, also something you really never hear about today. Uh, they had the chief of the Capitol Police was on the local NPR station, WAMU, this morning. And he was talking a little about that, about losing that officer. He talked a little bit about their failures of intelligence, that they didn't have the right equipment on hand. They didn't really have their riot gear, their helmets, more protection for the officers that day. Once again, these are things the January 6th Pelosi-picked panel didn't really want to focus on. They didn't want to focus on what did Speaker Pelosi do wrong. She picked the panel. Nobody's going to criticize her. You know, the, the, uh, the Republicans came out with a report and nobody cared because that's, that's how invested our liberal media is in sticking to the narrative they liked. The thing that I think that bothers me when they start talking about deadly insurrections is, you know, no matter how they characterize it, um, you know, when you try to take uh, object to that with facts... Liberals and their affiliated fact-checkers just get very upset at the idea of anyone downplaying the riot. But in their mind, you can never overplay it, and you can't object to them overplaying it. Now, one of the things the Pelosi-pick panel on January 6th was organized against was any troublesome Republican comparison of this riot to other riots. That's why you couldn't have Jim Jordan. You couldn't have members of Congress who were going to compare this to the post-George George Floyd riots in 2020. That would include whether those riots were deadly. The socialist British newspaper The Guardian reported 25 people died in American protests in 2020. That's a much larger death toll than January 6th. But they didn't all die on the same day or in the same place, Some of those who died were staunchly on the right. Some of them were staunchly on the left. As usual, some of those who were killed were far more newsworthy than others. We can talk specifically about Kyle Rittenhouse shooting two activists in self-defense in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in August of 2020. The Rittenhouse trial was a live coverage bonanza that was somehow comparable to the January 6th committee because it sort of hit the same talking points, and that is violent right-wing kooks. That was sort of the way they wanted to say something. Now, Darrell Brooks could run his car through a Christmas parade. That trial was not going to be a national phenomenon. That trial was barely noticed by the national media. But Kyle Rittenhouse, that was a huge deal. Now, on this second anniversary of the Capitol Hill riot, let us repeat for emphasis, riots are terrible, especially when they turn deadly. The Capitol Hill riot was worse than other riots because of where it occurred and on what occasion it occurred. It was an attempt to overturn certified election results on a political or a small-D democracy level that makes it worse than other riots. But because reporters are Democrats and Democrats are reporters, our media won't use the word deadly insurrection to define anything that happened in Portland or in Minneapolis or in Kenosha. Our media never minded that Kamala Harris and other Democrats donated to funds that were all about springing rioters from prison. If our media wanted to look public-spirited, if they wanted to look in favor of stable democracy and civility, they would report critically on all rioting. All riots would be discouraged. But they don't do that. They're just like Pelosi and her picked panel. Some riots are portrayed as good. They're a racial reckoning. Looting or rioting can be an acceptable tactic, when it's employed by the right people on the so-called right side of history or justice. And yet they turn around on us and spew outrage that conservatives are for violent political action. No one should be for violent political action in America. That should be the standard. That is not a high bar for the media to hit. In reference to this, our Curtis Houck tweeted out a clip from Wednesday night's Anderson Cooper 360. That's not a reflection of the ideological angles on the show. It doesn't rotate all 360 degrees. I mean, they should probably call it Anderson Cooper 015 degrees. Jonah Goldberg was on the set. He was, on this occasion, agreeing with everyone else that was present. He lamented, the, things that, the thing that drives me crazy is that there is this widespread myth among many of my conservative brethren that being electable makes you more moderate, that being electable makes you part of the establishment. Now look, on some level, anybody who's elected is the, is the member of an establishment, Congress, can be defined as an establishment, Obviously, there are members of Congress who are sort of bomb throwers. And yeah, there are social media and, uh, you know, uh, activists in general can reward uh, extremist behavior or trolling behavior. We we all understand that. But Curtis honed in on the part here where uh, there was the giggling and mocking the the members of Congress were voting against McCarthy and people who dislike Mitch McConnell, Jonah Goldberg despi- described them as getting high on their own farts in the Fox green room. This, I mean, let's say, what is this? This is Trump tweet level toilet humor. Take a listen.
0: There is no freaking establishment. If there was an establishment, this wouldn't be happening, right? This like the, there's, there's Mitch McConnell, and that's about it, right? The, the, Donald Trump is the establishment of the Republican Party to the extent that there is an establishment. But these guys, they have this fantasy, this sort of Don Quixote fantasy, that like the Nelson Rockefellers of the world are not only still alive, <laughs> but like running everything. If Kevin McCarthy, who I'm a huge critic of, and is you know is not reliable, and I understand why conservatives are uh, dislike him and all sorts of things, and why some moderates dislike him, but Kevin McCarthy would be, by almost any objective measure one of the two or three most conservative yep. Republican speakers in U.S. history, at least for the last hundred years. Paul Ryan was the most conservative speaker. This idea that being part of the establishment right. makes you a rhino-squish loser is this fantasy that these guys are getting high on on their own farts and, like, Fox Green rooms on, and it's <laughs> nonsense. It's just absolutely, this is how you turn what should be a majority party into a minority party, into a rump party.
1: The first emotional reaction of most conservatives to this clip is Goldberg somehow sounding like CNN's answer to Jimmy Kimmel, making fret-boy-fart jokes about Fox News guests. Curtis Houck said this was Dana Bash who was laughing oh so heartily at this comedy routine. To me, you know, Jonah Goldberg was a paid Fox News contributor for many years. Now he's a paid CNN contributor. Many of us out here uh, on the fringes of, uh, of television... Never drew a penny for making an appearance on Fox. For us, it's been an unpaid fringe benefit to be asked occasionally for our opinions. Making fun of kooky Fox guests on CNN, well, that now just starts sounding like mm, Adam Kinzinger stuff. Goldberg sounds like he's pleasing the new bosses. You know, making jokes about the flatulent extremist morons at Fox just shows his bitterness at everything that unfurled or came unglued in the Trump era. You know, Jonah Goldberg used to be a more universally beloved figure in the conservative firmament. And obviously, the arrival of Trump in so many ways has divided the conservatives from the conservatives Now, and the Republicans from the Republicans. Now, there is such a thing as being an anti-Trump conservative, but so many people who used to be Republicans have jumped on the bandwagon of CNN and MSNBC. Well, what does the bosses at CNN or MSNBC want when they hire a Republican? I think we all understand what it is that they want. They want you to trash Fox. They want you to trash Republicans. And they want that added benefit of saying, see, they used to be a Republican. They know how kooky these people are. They used to be friends with these people. But I want to just take this clip on piece by piece. Let's find some agreement here. It's true that if Kevin McCarthy wins, he would be a more conservative speaker than any Democrat. That's obvious. But, you know, someone my age... Only new Democrat speakers of the House, you know, from Carl Albert to Tip O'Neill to Jim Wright. I mean, the first 30 years of my life until Newt Gingrich got elected in 1995. And at that time, CNN and Time Magazine and The Washington Post and liberal media had an absolute fit at what a kook Newt Gingrich was. You know, there on the he was Ebenezer Scrooge on the cover of Time and the ging Grinch that stole Christmas on the cover of Newsweek. What Joan is doing here is sort of drawing a cartoon like that, you know, as he uncorks this comedy routine. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Those conservatives treat Kevin McCarthy like he's Nelson Rockefeller. Now let's explain to the younger people, like our Kevin Tober. You should know. If you don't, that Nelson Rockefeller was such a liberal Republican in the 60s and the 70s. He was more liberal than many Democrats of his time, certainly the Southern Democrats. Now, Kevin McCarthy's more recent American Conservative Union score is a 74. That was his 2021 number. That's not a staunch number, but it's not a Rockefeller number. You know, Rockefeller would be like Connie Morella. It'd be like a 38. Uh, You know, maybe McCarthy would have a higher number if he wasn't in the leadership trying to make deals with the other party. Or maybe if McCarthy wasn't in leadership, his number would be lower. We don't know. But anyway, you know, when it comes to where the rebels here are coming from, part of the flavor in just the last few weeks is Mitch McConnell pushing through this monstrous... $1.7 trillion Democrat omnibus spending bill that funds the federal government through next September, that has got to be considered a big reason for the House Republican unrest this week. This carries the heavy scent of McConnell letting the Democrat majority rule the budget for the first nine months of the new House majority. Now, Kevin McCarthy publicly opposed McConnell on that. But that's where the Nelson Rockefeller imagination kicks in. I mean, McConnell's push here just looks like letting the Democrats continue to pump up the volume, pump up the volume on the federal spending. Now, Jonah tried to claim the Republicans, and to some degree both parties, are determined to be minority parties, that they would rather be purists and raise money off their purity than compromise by actually putting competitive candidates in swing and competitive districts. Now, I think it's true that both parties are more ideological and more diametrically opposed than they were back in the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s. You know, since the new Gingrich era, we've seen a stauncher liberal Democrat base and a stauncher conservative Republican base. It doesn't mean they can't agree on something But you can also argue on the conservative side that America, to us now, looks like it's in a desperate situation with an amazingly massive debt, with a situation on the border that's just out of control, with concerns about big actors like Russia and China on the world stage. You might want to say conservatives have a reason to be especially agitated and to want that House majority to mean something. And not just to be get-along, go-along, to use an old phrase. You know, Bob Michael, who was a wonderful guy, but, you know, was sort of seen as the opposite of Gingrich. You know, they would say, oh, Bob Michael's just happy to go golfing with Tip O'Neill. That's sort of where people are on Kevin McCarthy. They don't want a guy who just wants to hang out with Hakeem Jeffries and shoot some hoops or talk about hip-hop. So, you know... This whole line that people are, you know, there's money in being purists, in going for purity over compromise. I mean, look, we could say the same thing about CNN. They are certainly interested in purity. Facts first isn't the biggest thing there. Being anti-Trump comes first. I joked on Twitter that Chris Lick looks like Kevin McCarthy. He says he wants to move the channel in a moderate direction and the bomb-throwing rebels like Don Lemon just keep dropping bombs. I mean, and now they're bringing on Adam Kinzinger as a commentator. It just underlines the whole thing. CNN loved the Pelosi-pick panel, so they're going to bring Adam Kinzinger on as a commentator. Oh, no, as a senior political commentator. Oh, he's senior. He's so important. Look, this is just a simple, factual demonstration. CNN is still trying to build an audience on the purity of its anti-Trumpiness. You know, Adam Kinzinger used to be, I'm sure, a reliable Republican vote. But what he was in the last two years was he and Liz Cheney made a bargain, and that is to reject the entire House Republican caucus and basically, in a sense, join the House Democrats by being on this January 6th committee. Now, that's not to say that the January 6th committee accomplished nothing. I think the Democrats think it very much accomplished the red trickle. I think that they think that, that uh, you know, focusing on January 6th endlessly made people uncomfortable and people didn't want to vote for that because it felt like it was somehow against a stable democracy. Or, you know, they've constantly associated the Republican Party with Trump. And at this late date, because Trump refuses to concede, a lot of people have a distaste for Trump and said, we're going to vote against the Trump candidates. You know, you could you could argue that. But, you know, the, 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 to say, oh, there's money and purity. Well, they, they think that at CNN. Right. I mean, certainly for Adam Kinzinger, there's money and purity. I mean, that, this is something that everybody lobs at each other. So, you know, Jonah Goldberg joined CNN. Well, it's really easy to say, well, Jonah Goldberg's going to go on there and be a Kinsinger. Now, that's up to him to decide. Does he want to be a, a more independent voice and actually speak on behalf of conservatives? That's up to him. I think he's done some of that. Nobody expects that Adam Kinsinger is going to do any of that when he comes on. You know, he's going to come on to do just exactly what the Nicole Wallace's do then the Michael Steele's. You know, Charlie Dent, you know, these guys all come on and talk about what cuckoos they used to have to work with. Now, let's zero in for a minute on how much Jonah Goldberg hated the Curtis Hauck take that his fart jokes show that CNN hates you and considers you enemies of the state. Now, John A. Daly, who helps ex-Fox News commentator Bernard Goldberg commentate, tweeted out how Fox host Brian Kilmeade was calling the 20 McCarthy objectors insurrectionists and then almost immediately retracting it, as he should. It's just like Dan Crenshaw somehow trying to suggest that the objectors were terrorists. You know, these are not accurate words. These are not things you should be saying. Daily tweeted, where are the newsbusters guys who are up in arms over Jonah just making a fart joke? As in, actually here, not denouncing, uh, not denouncing Kilmeade. He's saying, why don't we join in denouncing the McCarthy objectors? Now, I bring this up just to note, this is how Jonah Goldberg replied to the Daily Tweet about us. I like a lot of newsbusters folks and find some of their stuff useful, but like Media Matters, most of what they do is just, quote, look at what the people we hate said, unquote, or, quote, look at how stupid the people we hate are for being upset at what the people we love said, unquote. In my script, I have this in bold type. This is a bulletin board quote for me as executive editor of Newsbusters. I'm going to save it. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to ponder it because I don't think we at Newsbusters want to just be hottakes.org. This is not just a video clip site, as useful as that can be. It is certainly standard daily Newsbusters fare, or the layup for us, to say, check out the Crazy Joy readout outburst. But to call it most of what we do should not be true. That's why you put the quote up on the board. Even so... Outbursts like Joy's, Joy Reid, Joy Behar, they are part of what brands CNN and MSNBC and CBS and PBS and ABC and their liberal tilt. Newsbusters critics should actually engage with what kind of content is in these blogs. Is it not useful to display them on the Internet? Joy Reid uncorks these things like DeSantis loves death or Elon Musk loves apartheid. This is not to be categorized as just, hey, look at what people we hate said. What she says is an offense to truth, which is what cable news operators are supposed to care about. We know the fact checkers, these so-called independent fact checkers, don't care about Joy Reid's cartooning on a nightly basis. I don't want it to sound like we are just objecting to liberals saying liberal stuff. I mean, obviously, in that case, we could get up every day and say, well, hour on the hour, CNN's saying liberal stuff we don't agree with. MSNBC is saying liberal stuff we don't agree with. You know, you can't just do that. That's endless, and it probably would get tedious. I recall former PBS omnipresence Bill Moyers. This was his reaction in the mid-'90s, you know, under Speaker Gingrich, to our efforts to take the taxpayer money away from PBS. He said, that we found liberalism was an affront, or basically that liberalism shouldn't be allowed to express itself on television. But our project here, since 1987, at the Media Research Center, is the lament that we should have two sides of the debate on television. And first and foremost, on TV and radio networks that are funded in part by all American taxpayers. We objected to Bill Moyers because we wanted Moyers to have to engage with conservatives and not just dismiss conservatives as some horrible, pus-filled pimple on democracy. To Bill Moyers, we were all either fundamentalist wackos or corporate whores. You might have to actually engage with someone and have a conversation with them. He wasn't interested in that. Finally, I just don't like this spin of most of what Newsbusters does is just clips. Come on, read the website. We often take apart entire stories piece by piece. We complain when stories are completely one-sided jeremiads, Like this outrageous 60 Minutes segment on kooky Paul Ehrlich saying civilization as we know it is just about to end. There's no debate Paul Ehrlich just gets to uncork this crap, and there's nobody that CBS is going to put on to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Scott Pelley could take two seconds to say, well, it wasn't all right in the population bomb in 1968. No, he was almost entirely wrong and almost comically wrong. And part of Ehrlich's problem is he always overstates. If you cared about the truth, you wouldn't go seeking out the one guy who overstates things the worst. We're on the edge of mass extinction. Now, if we said that on the conservative side, they'd be looking for your QAnon hat. Do they have a hat? I don't even care. You know, I'm not QAnon. I don't really care about QAnon. I'm probably undereducated about QAnon because I'm not like these Will Summer guys who obsess over QAnon like it defines the entire Republican Party. Anyway, we do systematic research here, not just one clip in a cloud of dust. We're here to underline trends. Sometimes it's a trend over 24 or 48 hours. Sometimes it's a trend over one or two years. We will explore how the media employ words like controversial in a partisan way. I just did this with Title 42. Somehow Title 42 was controversial because the liberals don't like it. Or terms like hard right. We're going to use hard right. We're not going to use the term hard left. Or deadly insurrection. We're going to use it for January 6th. We're not going to use it for 2020. So we break it down and we try to critique print media as well as broadcast media, even if you're like, well, that's not that interesting. Who wants to read a 57-paragraph article? Well, we'll do it for you. We'll break it down. You know, someone watching our web traffic might say, hey, guys, don't do PBS or NPR or, oh, USA Today. That's boring. But hey, our job here is to observe the entire wacky waterfront of leftist media. Starting with that so-called public broadcasting system. Do you know when they passed the Public Broadcasting Act, it was all about they wanted you to observe uh, fairness and balance in all programming of a controversial nature. I mean, that is the most ridiculously underwatched legislative language of all time. Nobody has ever taken that seriously. But we try to take the spirit of that seriously in the way that we review the media here at newsbusters that's why you come to newsbusters once twice 24 times a day thanks for checking in